Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ABF. We are so happy uh, to be doing church with you. Uh, we are going to worship the Lord, and I know sometimes it is easy to just be on autopilot, uh, and we just hope and pray that you join us in worship wherever you are. If you're in the kitchen, if you're uh, in the living room, uh, go ahead and stand up, turn up that music, and let's praise the Lord together. Oh God, you have done great things. We dance 
our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilion in splendor and Welcome again, ABF. Uh, Chris here. I have a few announcements to kind of go over before we uh, enter in a time uh, with Pastor Scott. Uh, the first one is, uh, you know the number. We say it every single week, and, and we take it uh, very seriously. We love praying for you throughout the week. Uh, so if you have any prayer requests, uh, you can text those to 97,097000, and you can even stop listening to me now, and you can text 97,000 and send those prayer requests. Uh, we would love to be able to pray with you uh, this week. We have a, a couple of fun things coming up here at Agora Bible. Uh, this Sunday, after the second service, we have our beach baptism down at uh, Zuma Beach, uh, lifeguard stations uh, 11 and 12 in between there. Uh, we have a, a great group that are getting baptized. We have some junior hires, some high schoolers, some adults, and uh, it would just be so uh, 
amazing to see uh, our community go down there and support each other. So again, that's this Sunday. We would love to see you there. Uh, Pastor John mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we do have our ABF Dodger uh, game event coming up on September 12th, which is a Sunday, and it is the Dodgers versus Padres. Uh, it is going to be a fun, energetic game. Uh, I am rocking the Dodgers gear right now. Uh, we only have 11 tickets left, 11 tickets left, and those are going to go very, very quick. So if I were you and you want to go, uh, you should contact Pastor John about pricing and uh, any additional information with that. So uh, moving on, uh, our Canelo Valley Mill Program is on Monday, September 13th. And this is such a, just a, a, an amazing opportunity that we, we do every single month. We, we serve uh, 70 plus dinners uh, to our community, uh, community every month. And uh, we love for you to be a part of that. If you're interested in being a part of that, you can go online and register and you can sign up to bring uh, a meal item for that. Well, we are always just so thankful for your ongoing generosity and giving uh, to the church. And, and you might have noticed in the email that we have some uh, some catch-up to do, and we would be so grateful if you would just prayfully consider what uh, your part might be in that, and uh, we would appreciate that. Uh, so lastly, lastly, uh, so many of you, you know, we've had a, an amazing uh, two-year intern program here, and it is actually sadly coming to an end, and uh, uh, we just kind of want to spend a few moments kind of recognizing uh, our, our four interns. Uh, the first one, Zach Gross, he's been doing uh, a little bit of everything. He's been helping me uh, with student ministries the last uh, year. He's been doing uh, worship for Awana. He's been up on the big stage doing worship. He's been in the front office. Well, it's sad to see his internship end, but we are excited because he's going to be continuing uh, on staff with us as a student ministry assistant and, and leading a worship for Awana. Uh, so if you see him, give him a high five. And uh, we're just so thankful for uh, his service here. Uh, another intern uh, that's ending their uh, internship here is, uh, is Kevin. And you've seen Kevin all over the place. He's been helping out with uh, men's ministries and, and fixing things here and there. And he's going to continue on as well as being a facilities assistant and uh, also helping out Josh with some of the men's ministry uh, uh, things that are happening here. Uh, we have Justin. Uh, Justin, he is the man behind the scenes. He is in charge, and he is going to continue uh, being on staff with us, uh, doing uh, all sound, leading that team, uh, the tech team. So we're super excited to have him continue uh, with us. And lastly, uh, Faith Likes. Uh, Many of you know that she is on her way right now. Even when I'm filming this, she is on the road to Florida. Uh, she has been praying over the last few months what that looks like uh, in her next season of life. But we are so thankful for uh, the two years of service that she's done here at ABF with, with student ministries and women's assistant and children's assistant. Uh, I know myself and, and Adrian are just so grateful for what she has uh, done and contributed to this church. So we are going to miss her tremendously. So with that said, I'm going to pray for us before we get into it. Well, Father, we thank you so much for this church, Lord. We thank you for uh, just the celebration of, of the interns, Lord. We thank you for a chance to, to be able to just honor them for a few minutes, and we're so excited about what you have in store for them in this next season, Lord. And uh, we just thank you for a, a chance to be able to, to come together as a community and, and serve our, our, uh, our neighbors and, and our community, Lord. And uh, we're just so thankful that we get to uh, praise you wherever we are, Lord. Uh, we love you so, so much. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, worship team. And thank you, uh, Chris, for working through that. And we're sure going to miss uh, the interns and the different roles. I'm glad that uh, a high number of them will still be around and serving here in different capacities. 
Well, it's great for me to be back with you. I'll tell you what, I'm just super grateful for everyone's prayer and support during this uh, COVID stretch, specifically with uh, my family. Uh, I wanted to report we all have uh, clear COVID tests. Actually, Chase and myself never ended up uh, getting it. I believe I had it at the very beginning uh, when before they were doing a kind of consistent testing. But wanted to thank everybody. Man, everyone stepped up, whether it was meals brought to us, whether it was just a note of encouragement. My wife loved the flowers, even some help with some shopping. And uh, man, it was a huge uh, blessing, most specifically uh, that I didn't have to cook uh, because that's not good for my family. But anyway, we wanted to thank you. Uh, And one of the things that came from that was actually a lot of uh, time in quarantine around the house. And one of the things I wanted to bring up, and you're going to be like, where are you going with this, Pastor Scott, is I wanted to confess something with our home. We actually have ants in our house. I don't know if any of you are dealing with that right now. It's usually about right around this time of the year that we have somehow they infiltrate our home, whether it's they get past the spray, whether they get past the traps. Either way, it's super annoying and they're kind of gross. I'll be honest with you. We've tried a little bit of everything, whether it's, uh, I've had this something in the back of my head. If I kill enough of them with my thumb, maybe the word will get back to like the home base, but that doesn't seem to work as well as I'd like. But it's usually just for a short stretch that we have this, but definitely a reminder of how little you can do to stop it. It's funny, even as annoying as they are, that it's actually an animal or a creature in Scripture that's celebrated. You might be like, why would Scripture want to celebrate the ant? Proverbs 6.6 tells us, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. As annoying as they may be, you cannot debate with how, uh, what an unbelievable work ethic they have. One of the things that I do when they're in our kitchen or others is I try to watch them long enough to see where they're actually coming in or what point they're getting into the house. But I'm always impressed when I actually watch for a, a minute or so what they're doing, how much one of those crazy little ants can carry, like five times its weight just carrying a, a piece of scrap or whatever it is over its head. It's unbelievable. The work ethic, you would say, man, those things were created and designed for hard work. That's where I'm actually going with this because I would propose that it's not just that part of God's creation that's designed for hard work. Man, you and I, women, were designed for hard work as well. It's part of God's initial design for us and it's something that's carried over all the way from Adam and Eve. Now, with that, you might say, but wait a second, when I think of Uh, work, I usually associate work with being attached to the fall of man. So some might make the argument, it's only because we blew it back in the garden that we're required to work. But if you dig in a little bit closer in the book of Genesis, you realize that God placed Adam in the garden before the fall and we're told that he was to work it and keep it. Now, of of course, the the curse after the fall definitely influenced what our work looks like. It made it more difficult, more laborsome. Some have said, I was reading one article that was saying we move from gardening to farming. There's a little bit more work that it takes in order to have the same result. But that doesn't change the fact that it's something that we are made for, something that we are designed to do. And we still have 
present day, the potential to redeem what the fall has broken with our work. Let me explain. Colossians 3.23 tells us, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. What a, what a, a perspective change that is. You see, our work only makes sense if you look at it as a part of a bigger story. Otherwise, you just settle for the, oh, I'm just working for the weekend. I'm just trying to make a living. That mindset is not what God invites us to. Instead, he wants us to have a, a biblical view of work, which is that all work that's done can be done as unto the Lord. It's an opportunity to glorify him and it actually makes whatever is before us so much more rewarding when you see it through those lenses. And it's not just work that's done in the church. Sometimes people are like, you know, I just work so that I can give to the church for the real work that happens. But that's not it at all. We see even in the Colossians, it says, whatever you do has the potential to glorify God, to be done as unto the Lord. God takes this so seriously that he uses Paul to write to this young church of believers to rebuke them and correct them for not elevating work to its proper place in the life of a believer. We're going to look at that today in 2 Thessalonians, but let me just take a moment just to pray for our time before we do that. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to be in your word and how many topics that are so real and relevant for us it speaks to. We ask now that we'd be able to put some of the distractions of our week on the shelf and that you'd be able to speak to us directly on this topic of work. I pray that we wouldn't have a mindset of having it all figured out, that we'd be open to what you want to say to us even in these moments. We invite that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So, Take a look with me, will you, at 2 Thessalonians 3. We're starting in chapter 6, and this is the end of the book of Thessalonians, with a charge to this group of young believers. Verse 6 says this, Now we command you, brothers, so talking about this group of believers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Wow, pretty intense passage here as he's pointing towards the value and importance of work. In 1 Thessalonians, when we did that study last spring, you might remember that he gave a, a brief warning about idleness, about not being active and working. But here he's a lot more direct. Look at his tone. He says, now we command you. 
That's an important word there because it's not just a suggestion. You should do this, you should do this or consider this as a possibility. There's a very distinct difference when you start seeing scripture as commands. Commands. Instead, I think often we settle for the idea that it's suggestions. What does he command them? He commands them to keep away from brothers who are walking in idleness. Walking in idleness. Who are these people that are walking in idleness? The idea of walking in idleness is basically another term might be operating as somebody that's lazy, not doing anything, not participating, not carrying their weight. There's a few different possibilities, and we've hinted at these before in the study of uh, 1 Thessalonians, that one possibility is that there's people within this young church that are so excited about Christ's return, believing that it could be any moment, that they don't really see the purpose in working any longer. So they've kind of put that off and are leaning into the other believers within the body to be supported financially, whether it's with food or provision. And so you can imagine that would become a strain on those who continue to work. So that's one possibility. It's people that are a little zealous about Christ's return, thinking that they can check out early from the responsibilities here on earth. Another possibility that's suggested of who these people that he's referring to that are walking in idleness might be the fact that it, the, Greek, the Greek culture of that time actually elevated working and doing things with your mind and looked down on those who were uh, kind of below them that were left to work with their hands. It's funny how hard it is to break some of the cultural misguided thoughts out of your system even after coming to the Lord. And so there's a possibility that he's speaking specifically to some of the Greek believers that were new to all of this that didn't like the idea of having to work with their hands. Either way, it's an audience that's taking advantage of the situation and leaning into kind of mooching, if you will, off of those around them. Now, Paul explains to them that, hey, we taught you about this. We explained to you the importance of work. And he also says, we modeled it for you. When we were there, we did this. We didn't just tell you to do it. As a leader, that's one of the most annoying things that you can have as a leader that's telling you to do something, but not doing it themselves. Regardless of where you stand politically, that's been a, a frustration I know in our own country as sometimes being told to do things as it relates to COVID and then seeing those in leadership above you not doing the mandates that they're passing down. Similar here, Paul wanted to avoid that. That's why he said, I came and I modeled these things for you. I, I, I set this example for you, for you to, to follow, for you to emulate. He explains to them that he points that they had the right to be financially supported, but they chose not to. What does he mean the right to do that? See, if you look elsewhere in scripture in 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul tells the churches to financially support elders that work hard at preaching and teaching. He, he gives that directive for them, but he's saying, I'm not leaning into that, right? Instead, Paul was known, and when he's doing on his uh, church planting expeditions, he's known for just saying, I'm going to be a, a, a tent maker. I'm going to do what it takes to provide so that I can't be accused of taking advantage of people. Still, you'd see that even today with church planters giving their finances worked out before going to plant a church. 
Later on in his ministry, we read of Paul receiving support from the Philippian church and leaning into that a little bit more. But here he says, he explained to them, while we were there, we taught you this and we modeled it. And he gives an example. You can see it there in the text. He gives an example of what he had specifically told them. He says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Wow, pretty, pretty intense passage there. Imagine if we started to implement that with our teenage kids. If you're like, hey, Johnny, PlayStation doesn't count as work. No food for you today. It's a, it's a, a reality that would come crashing in on some of our teens for sure. But before we pick on them too much, as adults, we can also slip into lazy patterns and habits. And we have plenty of excuses for why we're doing it. I jotted down a couple of the excuses for laziness that I see pretty prevalent. You could probably add to this list on your own. One of the excuses that you see so often while people, why people don't want to do their, their job or their work, the first one I listed is just too boring. Or maybe another version of that is just doesn't line up with my gifts or passions. Remember my, one of my college roommates when he first got out of school, he was a, a, a big guy, about 6'3", I mean, big, a big weightlifter guy. And uh, I remember him telling me about his first job as an accountant. He's telling me about the situation that he's in. He's like, man, I'm an extrovert and I'm stuck in this job. It's so boring. He was saying that every day after lunch, he had a routine. He said, I, I knew that people were coming and going for lunch. So I would just look both ways and crawl under my desk and take a solid hour to two hour nap. I was like, what do you, how did you do that? It was, he said, well, I saw it in Seinfeld and I thought I'd give it a try. And so he would do this. This was part of his routine because his job was too boring. That's not what we're called to. That for sure is an excuse. Imagine how that changes when you start to see things as I alluded to earlier through the lens of you're working for God himself. All of a sudden, whatever task is in front of you, it's not boring. Imagine if Almighty God broke into your cubicle and said, today, the work that you're doing, you're doing it for me. How would that, how would that change your motivation in the day to come? I would say it would alter things pretty significantly. At the end of the day, if he checked back in to see what you accomplished, all of a sudden, boring isn't in the equation any longer. So it's too boring. Another excuse is I'm just, I'm just too tired too tired. I'm just didn't get enough sleep. I'm worn out, man. I'm just not motivated today. What I find interesting is the amount of energy that people have on the weekends versus the amount of energy that they have during the week. You ask somebody about their weekend, they're just like, you know, I ran a marathon. I went skiing. I, I did this. I went surfing. I did all of this. And you're just like, what happened to the person that was just dragging through the week? An excuse again for laziness. It's too boring. I'm too tired. Here's another one that you hear fairly often is I'm, I'm just not good at it. I'm not good at it. This is not humility. This is actually more often surrender. Now, granted, some things you're better at than others, but you often don't know until you've really worked hard at it. A lot of things by just sheer effort, you can move through and work through it, even if it's not something that you're naturally good at. If you persevere with it, man, it can turn out okay. Not hiding under the guise of wrong fit. 
Fourth excuse, and you could probably add more to it. I'll end with this one, is this one. There's no big rush. There's no big rush. The procrastinator's favorite excuse for laziness. Just a few more cat videos on YouTube. I'll get to it a little bit later. You see, the reality though, often is later either never comes or you cut, cut your timing so close that you end up doing subpar work that clearly isn't glorifying to God. You see, we see here in this text that God takes this very seriously that he doesn't put up, he doesn't tolerate with laziness or our excuses for it. So my question as we try to apply this to ourselves is, how would you grade yourself on the lazy meter? How would you grade yourself? If you're real honest, how would you say you're doing as far as working and doing everything as unto the Lord, full bore, or are you settling for kind of a half effort? Let's take a look at how that plays itself out in verse 11. It says, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, sh- now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living found it interesting at the beginning there of verse 11, he says, we, for we hear that some of you walk in idleness. Find that interesting because we think often that our laziness isn't noted. Nobody really notices. It's no big deal. Like, how am I hurting anybody? But in this case, we see that it's made it all the way back to the ears of Paul, who's somebody that's lazy and who's somebody that's not. You see, whether we recognize it or not, we're accountable to our own testimony to be hard workers. It's really hard if you think through this for a second. It's really hard to have a a testimony and tell somebody, man, you need to come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Allow him to be the Lord and leader of your life to turn the, the full direction of your life following him. And then you're just known for being kind of a lazy bum. That's, that's not exactly a, a legit testimony. The warning here is that it goes back, that people notice, people recognize this. He describes there, he says, notice, he says, walk in idleness. Walk in idleness. In other words, when you say somebody's walking in something, it's become a, a pattern in their life. I'm not talking about a lazy afternoon where you chose to uh, veg out a little bit. That's not worth saying. We're not talking about the, the idea of somebody that's taking a Sabbath and a legit time to carve out time to be refreshed. I'm talking about somebody that has a, a pattern of idleness. It's kind of snuck in where they, they're just known as not really a, a hard worker. They're not instead not busy at work. I don't know why, but the, all week when I was thinking about this section, I kept thinking about, well, what is it that keeps people from wanting to be busy at work? I think so often the biggest obstacle that keeps us from being busy at work, as it describes here in the text, is we're always thinking about the someday in the future. Someday in the future, when I get the right job that aligns with my gifts, that really utilizes my, 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 my gifting and talents, something I'm passionate about, then, 
man, I'm going to work like you wouldn't believe. I'm going to work so hard on it. When I finally get that promotion, when I get moved up to that next level, when I finally uh, move to this new state, when I finally get settled into my house, when I finally, there's always the someday mentality that I believe is a huge obstacle instead of doing what we see described here is working hard at what's right in front of you. Working hard at what's right in front of you. He says to them to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Doesn't need to be a production. Whatever God has placed in front of you, that's what you've been entrusted with. And often you're not going to be given more when you're not faithful with a little. Scripture talks about that as well. He who's been given much, there's much expectation. That's the idea here that he's pointing to. He points out this opposite or alternative of being somebody that works hard is somebody that's a busybody. Somebody that's a busybody. It's funny to me how often there's terms in scripture that you're like, oh, I didn't know that that term actually went back as originating in scripture. But this picture or idea of a busybody is somebody that's not a hard worker, but they're just involved in everybody else's stuff. Usually it's somewhat attached to being a gossip. Usually it's uh, attached to being other people's business. That's what he's describing what's happening here. When you have too much idle time, you're prone to that. So he describes that person and he says to encourage and commend them, to, to point to them. And here's the important thing is that we're not, this isn't somebody that we're trying to oppose or come down against. It's somebody that needs to be spurred on and encouraged to live differently, to, to, to live, to, to focus on what's in front of them and work hard at what they've been entrusted with. So practically speaking, how do you put this into play? If you know a brother or sister who's known for kind of mooching off of others that has the ability to work but doesn't work, man, this is where you need to open up God's word with them, to come alongside them, encourage them to move forward, to to get involved, to to engage with the, the opportunities that are right in front of them. And if they don't respond well to this, We see the consequences in verse 13. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone, listen to this, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother." The more time you spend in the New Testament, you start to realize that consequence is something so often brought up in the Christian life for somebody that's not walking in obedience to Scripture. Somewhere along the line, we kind of softened softened our version of Christianity, and it's a much more tolerant to disobedience. But God's design for the church is to call people out. to to confront them, to address them. And it's not treating them like an enemy as we're told here, but instead to warn them as a brother, to come alongside of them and and point to that. I don't know what what your example or person in your life that you can think of, or maybe unfortunately this conversation is more a look look in the mirror experience, but I think it's very relevant for today. For people that are able to work and maybe they're leaning into the government for financial assistance. Maybe they're taking advantage of a system. Maybe they're not rushing back to work even though they're fully capable of doing that. 
He warns them and tells us as fellow believers to bring it to them. But then if they don't respond, what does it say? To not have anything to do with them. Now, I know sometimes with that, you're just like, man, that, that just seems uh, really harsh and unloving. But that's the thing that you have to understand when you're dealing with the family and people you care about, sometimes you have to elevate uh, change and transformation over potential offense. I'll say that again, elevating change, which we're each called to as a follower of Jesus Christ over potential offense. Here he's saying it's more important to see them transformed in this area as it relates to work than it is to make sure that they're comfortable and they're taken care of. Look at what it actually says, to stay away from them so that, they, that it actually evokes shame in their life. You're like, wow, I didn't know you ever would want to do that. But often we don't change and we're not transformed until we're put in an environment in a situation where there's consequence for our disobedience, our neglect of following God's plan and design for our life. So following biblical uh, ideas of love doesn't always mean that we're nice. It often demands that we seek the higher good for someone, which may demand discomfort. Nothing to do with them. What does that look like? So often that just means, man, exactly what it says. You're, you're stepping away from them. You're not involved with them. You're not checking in with them. But there's always that open invitation. Whenever they're interested in being reconciled and moving back into obedience, man, as a family, as a brother, as a sister, we've got to be just open arms, ready to see them come back. It's interesting that he starts this section by saying, don't grow weary and doing good. I think Paul recognizes after years and years of ministry that it's frustrating, that's exhausting to dealing with lazy, obstinate people and not seeing the transformation and change that you'd like to see in their life. Remember John telling a story, John Irwin who really helps coordinate some of our benevolence and efforts to reach out to people struggling in the community. There's a one gentleman that we cross paths with. We end up encountering a lot of people just based out of uh, our facility here. But one gentleman that was really struggling, who was also a, 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 a stated believer or follower of Jesus Christ, John really went the extra mile. He's tried to uh, get him some work. He actually gave him the opportunity to work some uh, at, at his house. And then he connected him with a, a, with a contractor trying to get him a job. I remember that process. He took him out to lunch. He tried to hear his story, tried to figure out his transportation, storage stuff. Like he went all of this. And then after all of that, this guy just went completely black on him, went completely dark. He didn't respond to phone calls. He didn't respond to, to anything. It was really a heartbreaking situation. But in all of this, we can't grow weary in doing good. Because if we're not careful, responding people that are taking advantage of your kindnesses can callous your heart so you're not open to helping people that actually have genuine need. So I think that's an important reminder for us as well as the body of Christ. Moving along with this last section as he's concluding the letter, it's at first I was reading and I was like, man, this sure seems disconnected, but we'll read it first and I'll show you actually how I believe it ties in. It says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. 
I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. I labeled that section a prayer for peace. I actually thought it was a beautiful uh, words that he ha- shares there. Peace at all times in every way. That's what he wanted them to experience. Peace at all times in every way. I'd say if there's something that transcends time and comes into our current situation that I think we all long for in our current world environment is peace. I don't know if you noticed this, but I sure noticed it. Everywhere I look, I feel like people are just kind of living and operating on edge. I was in, I was in, uh, uh, Chipotle the other day. And this person on the other, this young guy, probably high school age was there. He's working, kind of taking the order. And the guy that was in line in front of me, that was uh, probably five or six people ahead. He messed up something on the order. And this guy just starts snapping, just going off on this poor high school worker. And just, I thought he was going to jump over the, the plastic counter and beat him up over getting a, a, a bean order wrong or whatever it was. It's just crazy to watch how many people are operating right on the brink of explosion, uh, of outbursts like that. It's so much that our culture and our world longs for peace. And that's exactly what Paul is praying for this group, that they would experience peace, that that would be part of everything that they do. Again, he says, peace at all times in every way. That's my prayer for us as a church community. And the way that this connects, you're just like, well, how does that peace thing uh, connect? What I believe is I think there's a link between what he's charging us earlier in the passage when he tells them to just, just to be quietly working as unto the Lord. To not get caught up in all the drama around us. That doesn't mean that we're not involved and we're not engaged, but to put our head down and do what the Lord has for us and not become busybodies sucked into all the drama that we're surrounded with. Being committed to our families, being committed to our testimony, making sure that we're hard workers, making sure that we're serving the needs of people around us. I think when we actually break down what our calling is in the Christian life, It's fairly simple and it's not the weight that it seems that the world wants us to carry. He's saying, and I love Jesus' words when he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's how I believe we're able to experience the peace that he describes. But regardless, it's not permission for us to not be hard workers. We want every single day to be spent. I would love as a church community, at the end of the day, we're just worn out from working in the different arenas of leadership. Where are those different arenas uh, of work? Well, obviously your employment, that's a big one. Other arenas that maybe we don't think about. The body of Christ, rolling up your sleeves, getting busy helping out in the body of Christ. I'd also say another arena of work is your, your home and family. Being, being active and investing in your marriage relationship, being investing in your, in your kids, putting the work that it takes to keep those in a healthy, dynamic place. This is the life that he's called us to, and it results at the end of the day in a life of peace. That's my prayer for us as we finish up this section in 2 Thessalonians. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to study this book. And as it, we're kind of listening in and sneaking a, a peek at what Paul has to say, 
to this young church in Thessalonica. My prayer is that some of these charges would actually take root in our own lives. Man, if we had a biblical view of work, how that could change things. If we started seeing our day, whatever it is that we're busy doing, that we do it as unto the Lord. Man, it has the potential to bring new purpose and meaning to our day, regardless of what the task is in front of us. I thank you for this reminder. I thank you for this nudge. And I thank you for your grace. That's a really wraps around all of this that we're so dependent on as we get it figured out. We pray this now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you.
Great Church family. Well, thanks again for being with us online. That means a lot to us. And hopefully these continue to be a blessing to you. Obviously, any way we can serve you at the church throughout the week, always feel free to reach out. God bless you. Have an amazing day.